Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. At Cub, we say we're your business family because that's exactly what we are. And today we're catching up with one of our longest standing Cub family members, Mr. Adrian Bowe. He is one of the founding partners of McGrath Real Estate. He was at McGrath when there were just six people right through to when they listed with 2,500 people. Adrian is an incredible guy. He has experienced uh, some great adversity in, in recent years and his philosophy around how to handle adversity and how to see the positives in negatives is incredible. He is a, an adopter of stoicism, which is an incredible philosophy used by Marcus Aurelius and many other amazing uh, people in history. It was a truly brilliant conversation that I think everyone's going to find incredibly relevant after a year like this. And I I think you'll find yourself trying to find the positives in the seemingly negatives uh, that happen to you in life. So uh, incredible conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Mr. Adrian Bo. How are you, sir? You're a poet and you don't even know oh, it. I tried hard on that one. <laughs> How are you? Good, buddy. Yourself? I'm very good. Excited to have you here. Excited to have you at my place because you've never been here, have you? In the building but not in this apartment. It's gorgeous. You've been a member for how many years now? How, almost since its inception. Yeah. Like how old is it? Couple. Five. Yeah, five I'd, I'd say Close five, to, yeah, I'd yeah, say five. Long time. Yeah, since and, the start. And I've never invited you over. Fuck, what a piece of shit am I? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a pleasure to have you here. And often the, the people, people say on my podcast when I say, oh, it's episode 72 and they're like, you've taken fucking 72. To get to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic one on mine, you know. Well, so, let's give you So don't, don't tell me the episode number because then I'll feel really No, well, I'm better. You just had me on yours last week. Yeah, it's Or true. whenever it was, yeah, but yeah. you're the 40th. Fifth, would you say something like that, Lord? I'm higher up then. Yeah, yeah. so you, you are, I'm kinder than you are. Is yeah, the thing. yeah, that's it. But, <laughs> but now that we're talking about your podcast, let's give it a shout out. What's yeah. it called and how can people find it? Uh, it's just the Adrian Bow podcast and it's on all the platforms, um, uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, loaded up through Buzzsprout. Yeah, you'll find it easy just on my socials and stuff, yeah. Incredible. And Adrian, just so the listeners know, you are a, a thought leader uh, and an industry leader in the real estate in the real estate industry, uh, you were a, a founding partner, uh, I'd say, of McGrath. Uh, which I mean, who doesn't know McGrath? Mm. Um, you've since moved on and, and have started an incredible coaching company that specialises in. Uh, you work mostly with principals of uh, agency, real estate agencies, and agents themselves, and even associate agents. You know that are developing to come becoming into agents, like one. One associate I'm dealing with is um, uh, effectively an assistant to a senior agent, but he's just put on his own assistant now and is uh, would be doing even better than most so-called standalone agents in the eastern suburbs. So, yeah, in all levels. And really. so what do you typically advise them on? And obviously you use your wealth of uh – how many years have you been in the game now? 31. Okay, so you know your shit, you'd hope. <laughs> no, <laughs> hope so. you, you definitely so. do, obviously. But hope so. But um, what type of things are you teaching people at the moment? It's a good question. You know, I call it best practice and mastery level, okay, because this industry, as most people would recognise, and mostly through anecdotal experiences, 
themselves, either by renting, buying, selling, whatever, um, the customer service experience isn't great all the time. In the industry? Within the industry. Um, you know, they're, they're technically class usually next to like car salesmen and, you know, sometimes even lawyers are in the mix there. Yes. So, so really my whole ethos is to create a best practice, to create a process and to create mastery level in each um, uh, inter- interaction with the consumer. So, for example, if you're an agent, your main focus is to find listings, and once you've found them, is to sell those listings. Okay, so let's just let's just you know quarantine it to sales for a moment. There is rentals as well, obviously, which I do coach in that space, and that's got a lot of different verticals as well, which is bringing in the the actual property itself, then managing the property, then leasing it. So that's a whole another conversation, but. For sales, you know, th- there is a way to bring in business and which is at mastery level and it's best practice and there's a way which is a legacy hangover from the 1980s which is antiquated cowboy nonsense which people were taught, unfortunately, back then. That's the selfage. That, that's, what you, that, that, that's where you're saying the industry can get that somewhat selfish reputation, the car sales, lawyers yeah. and, and in that space and I guess the reason that, you know, that it could get grouped there is because if uh, your clients, and this is pretty much relevant to all industries, if your client doesn't feel like you have their best interest at heart mm. and that you're just acting in your own interest yeah, purely and wholly, they, they know that there is some interest there, but if they think you're only acting in your interest and not in theirs, I guess that is how an industry can get classed into that, into that negative light. Uh, such as car sales and and lawyers who who just want to charge you more. Absolutely. And it's not necessarily the industry's fault. It's just I I think that um, as a whole there hasn't been a lot of people that have stepped up and said, well, this is the right way to do it because you've got legislation, sure, but that's that's quite opaque and and quite arbitrary. But, you know, in terms of skill set, um, you know, you can you can learn things from, you know, someone that you worked for or you could learn things that were in 1990s tapes that were written about, you know, how to, how to be an agent, how to prospect more, how to list more, how to sell more, but it doesn't necessarily mean it, it's the right way. So my whole philosophy is, you know what, guys, let's reach mastery level in, in the main pillars of real estate. And the main pillars, what I call are, database so how to actually grow and nurture a database because I'm a massive believer that a database is like an asset okay Um, and if you nurture it and grow it appropriately um, then that can serve you as a passive annuity type of income moving forward okay Um, the next pillar is prospecting so that doesn't mean just telemarketing prospecting comes in many different ways but you know who to call what to say you know, when to call, for example, um, and and what the right dialogue is. The next pillar might be the whole listing process. So, you know, when you first meet someone who wants to, you know, list a property, you know, what to say on the phone, what to send in advance, uh, what to say when you're actually at the listing appointment itself, and then how to manage the process after that because the two touch points are really dealing with the vendor and their own expectations and then dealing with the buyer and their expectations because in an industry where a buyer wants to buy a property as cheap as possible, a vendor is emotionally attached and wants the highest price possible. So you're the conduit in the middle and unless you follow a process, it can it can really get out of control, you know. Um, and then the last point is really how to scale and leverage. So 
in our industry, we call them EBUs, which is an acronym for Effective Business Unit. Um, and I pioneered that some 25 years ago, uh, which was, you know, basically cloning yourself. Uh, because if you look at most agents, um, you know, there's only there's only a handful of ways we actually make money, which is prospecting, listing, negotiating and keeping a deal together. But if you look at most agents' diaries, they're probably only 20% of their days occupied by what we call those dollar productive activities. Not dissimilar to a surgeon, Dan. Like if a surgeon didn't scale and didn't have support, he or she would only conduct two surgeries in a day. But as you know, that surgeon starts at 7 in the morning, finishes at 6.30 at night. He or she goes in, conducts the surgery, um, someone's there beforehand making sure the utensils are, lo- are lined up, the lights are on, floors are clean, and then he or she would go from one to the other and they'll they'll put aside a whole day for surgeries or procedures and they'll manage to fit in 12, Well, that's re- two. That's a really cool concept because, I mean, scaling is the best thing you can do as a business for yourself, yes, but also so you can serve and provide goods and services to more people, bring Correct. value to more of the community and society. Mm. However... One thing super cool is that in order to scale, each person, including yourself, must know the most important action and function of that role. Mm. Because when you know when when you know the most important action and function of that role, you can then build structures to to, to be more productive and to Absolutely. be more efficient. And and so you've basically you you currently are. Uh, what I took from um, you said about the industry and what you're doing and, and creating more mastery mm-hmm. is that you're really on a mission to to lift and to raise the reputation and the standard of, of customer service for the property industry as a whole. You want to produce better agents, better principals, better pro- a better property industry Absolutely. Uh, for the market. Absolutely, because the ratio of income earners – is is completely um, unrealistic because you've literally got 20% of people in the industry in sales earning 80% of the income. And if you're in the 80% club, let me tell you, you're earning wages at best. So to me that's just unacceptable. It should, it should, be, it should be a lot fairer than that. And that, that 20% club, let me tell you, they're not necessarily more remarkable or more prodigious than anyone else. They they're the ones that just went to a training session with me or sat down at ARIC, which is the annual real estate conference, and just followed the process, you know, um, and and have stuck out because you don't actually have to be that good to stand out in our industry because the competition, unfortunately, isn't isn't that great. And so you're say, so so when you say eighty twenty, you're saying of agents, twenty percent of them are the one making twenty percent are making money. Correct. Yeah, making making eighty yeah. percent of the, of, of, the the, of income available. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and also, yeah, that is a good point. Real estate has been around for a long time. A lot of people have worked many years in real estate, and therefore there are processes in place that you, basically the secret to success in real estate exists. Mm. It's about actually finding it, getting taught it, and implementing it. It's true, but you also got to have some innate biological traits along the way. So what I mean by that is there's innate traits, which is discipline, energy, mindset, uh, and motivation. And then there's acquired traits, which is product knowledge, negotiation skills, right? Now, acquired skills, anyone can learn, a monkey can learn. But I find that the innate skills are the ones that usually make it in our industry. So what I mean by that, 
being in the industry 31 years, I've literally Dan seen hundreds of agents come and go who have got the you know the so-called gift of the gab, got the right suit, you know, look good, you know, polished shoes, whatever, but you know they think the the telephone is kryptonite, or they think that you know getting face to face with people, um, you know, is not not the right way to go about it. They think that customer service isn't important. They they think that follow up's not important. They think that speed's not. So you know it, it's the ones it's the it's the rough diamonds which I'm saying that I've seen that have uh, evolved the best, and the ones that you can teach the acquired skills to. But it's the ones that have got that innate hunger, discipline, and motivation to 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 that really end up doing well. Well, yeah, it's kind of that old uh, argument towards nature talent, and nurture. Uh, yeah, yeah, nature and nurture, talent, and 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 yeah, acquired skill. Yeah. You can call it. Character. It's a combination. Each person has a different combination. That's the right. one thing you really can't uh, get is, I mean, talent. You can you can nurture talent. Yeah. But you you some people are born taller. I can't be a basketball player. That's a fact. I can't be in the NBA. Yeah. That's, yeah. I can born like that. Yeah. Um, but there are things that you can. I could probably learn to shoot better. Yes. You know, and, and therefore compete better, and maybe be in that twenty percent. Yeah. So, so that's all very cool. And so, with your time with McGrath, you you saw McGrath through what? How many franchises did it? Oh, look, we started with six people. Now, myself, John, a receptionist, two other salespeople. And uh, then to 100 offices with 2,500 people. So, Jeez. Yeah, that, oh, that, that was a 25-year journey. And then you listed. Yeah. The company yeah, listed. Yeah, that's right. A few years back or whatever it yeah, was. It was a, yeah, it was probably um, six, six, eight years ago. Yeah. And did you guys learn many lessons from that? Yeah, I don't think a residential real estate company will have will have a list again mm-hmm. based on that. Not 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 because there was anything wrong with the business. In fact, you know, if you speak to most people that are that are doing a roadshow before an IPO, and for those who don't know what a roadshow is, you you know, you go out to investors sort of a few months before an IPO, and and you, you get an appetite on who who'd be interested in investing. You know, and and you know, most of the, most roadshows they they call them sort of there's an oversubscription, which it means you know there's so many so many shares that you're going to release at IPO and there's there's interest um, you know in more than shares that what you've got to offer so there was there was an oversubscription the only thing is that when we floated at two dollars ten um, the 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 market straight after sort of dropped and it's ne- it never got back to anywhere near those levels not because you know the business isn't worth it because there are tangible assets that if you use a different valuation mechanism which is the traditional real estate mechanism which is based on the rent roll then um, that combined asset is actually worth more than what the ASX recognised the, the the capitalization market value to be right so it just depends which valuation mechanism you use but I just don't think that that the 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 stock market recognizes you know and the true value of of a real estate business which is really assets but also people you know and and I think they find it hard to put put a value on people yeah also, and how long ago did you did you finish with McGrath it, 12 months exactly 12 months ago okay so not long mm. and and what, what do you think why don't you tell us about the start of your journey kind of how you how you got to to where you are today I get do, do you always want to be in real estate uh, not really, actually. I was, when I was in year 11. Where are you from? Are you from Sydney? From Sydney, yeah. yeah. Grew up in the eastern suburbs around Maroubra way. Um, always wanted to be, actually, in, in st- talking about the stock market, always had an interest in 
finance and, and, and the stock market. And and while I was at school, years 11 and 12, I actually worked for Rene Rifkin, which yeah. only people our age would actually know Rene. Um, so he had a company back then called Rifkin Limited, which then became Rifkin James Capel Limited when, when they merged. So I was doing that and then straight after school there was a job waiting for me and I did that. And but that was in two thousand and uh, sorry, what am I talking about? Nineteen eighty nine. And if anyone remembers, Black that's when Black Friday happened, mm. right? Um, and basically, you know, a lot of redundancies occurred. I wasn't one of them, but my brother was working in real estate, and I saw him driving a nice car. And 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 even though the the stock market was going down, the property market was actually surging. Um, uh, even though interest rates were double digits, but we we're just getting out of that at that time so then I, I just got a job at his office doing doing some leasing residential leasing and then it evolved to commercial leasing and I basically made a career out of Oxford Street which was from Hyde Park all the way through to Queen Street you know that whole section of yeah. Oxford Street that's where I met a, a, lot, a lot of my friends today still people that I met in, in those days there's a few a few undesirable but I'd tell that to their face you know <laughs> so I've got a few a few a few mates that uh, I made during those times because you know people opening nightclubs or opening bars restaurants like that was that was when it was going off oh, it's crazy it was crazy like you basically for people who don't know um, you know back then you would pay anywhere between 200,000 to 500,000 key money that's not to buy the business that's just for an empty shop just mm-hmm. to get the key, and then typically four to five thousand dollars a week. You know that that was that was really, and we, we were we were making commissions on both. You know, so it was happy days for everyone. You know, retail was booming, hospitality was booming, and was that with McGrath? Yeah, that was. Uh, so we were in. A, I was involved in a company called Metro Commercial which was a guy called Edward Litva, who's a very successful yeah, developer built, today. Built yeah. the Pacific in yeah, Bondi yeah, that's and, right. and many others. Yeah, and another guy called Kurt Braun. I've met Edward before, actually. Yeah, yeah. Came to the club. Yeah, and, um, and, then, and then got poached from McGrath to set up that commercial division and did that for a few years and then I evolved into residential and eventually got out of commercial because unless you're a big player in the CBD, uh, a lot of the metropolitan areas started to get eaten up where there was a niche market for me at that time. That was in the, that was in the mid-90s, for example. Yeah. And what do you think, because um, not every agent, uh, I guess, accumulates a career like yours, mm. an Asian person in general, um, what do you think it was that separated you from uh, you know the other eighty or ninety percent? I think those innate um, traits that I was talking about were, were always there. I always had the the passion, the hunger, the desire, um, the ambition. That that was that was always there. Even though I didn't do too well in the last couple of years at school, only because I discovered alcohol and girls and, and that was a lot more fun. I had, than, the, I had the same problem. Same problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. I so, never got out of the problem yeah. somehow. <laughs> still there. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to climb my way out. Yeah, well, I, I, I got married like when I was close to 40, so it sort of it lasted quite a while. But, um, but, yeah, so I didn't do too well at school. But, uh, you know, the irony with that is, you know, 10 years later I ended up doing an MBA, a Master's in Business, um, because I ha- always had that that pebble in my shoe around I knew I was really good acad- at academia at school but I just never applied myself and um, and you know even though I didn't have an undergraduate degree I still did it I applied for a for a postgraduate degree and got accepted and and did it you know about 10 15 years ago so that was an in- interesting 
thing to do while I was at the top of my game and running an office and you know running running a business etc so um, that was just a, a personal mission for me that that was really important you know and you know I had a very linear and sequential career path you know like you know was part of a company for 25 years listed then took a management role um some were say, saying I was groomed to be the CEO and 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 that could have been the cause of all the adversity that happened at the time but none, nonetheless it just goes to show how you think your life is planned out and mapped out um, and, you know, if someone said to me a year ago, I wouldn't be at McGraw and I wouldn't, you know, be in a management position and doing what I'm doing, then I'd be surprised, you know. But as I've learned, control is an illusion. You know, you, you can influence your life. You, 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 can, you can do things and have habits that, that will help you along the way, but ultimately you can't control what happens. You can only control how you interpret what happens. And you did experience, I guess, a, 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 a bit of adversity um, in the leaving of McGrath and the reason why. Do you want to describe that in some yeah. way? Just oh, so look, the, it, was, it, was, it was messy and it was no secret. Um, you know, the, the, there, was, there, was, there was an accusation of me sort of, you know, swearing at someone which sounds absurd you know when when a lot of people that have looked further into it said there's there's got to be more to it how how can how can someone be dismissed after 25 years of service being a major shareholder in the company which I was at the time just and, and even if they're saying what you said was true it just doesn't make sense you know so which which you know I won't get into the full detail of it but um it, it was it was a false claim they 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 seemed to think it was justified um look at the end of the day you know it was it, it ended up in me no longer being there um and for me to say that it was easy I'd be lying because it wasn't it was it was it was something where at the time um you know I was I was there were days where I didn't want to get out of bed there were days where I didn't get out of bed and it's like you know the media is chasing you down the street they're writing articles about you and but you you live by the sword and die by the sword you know if you if you if you're someone of profile and they don't discriminate good or bad news in the media. They just they just produce news, you know. So, you know, before that I would have had probably millions of dollars worth of positive media and then as soon as something so-called, uh, you know, negative happens, then they're still going to write about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just the, the way it happened was, wasn't ideal. But, yeah, look, that's, that's something that's, you know, that for me um, catapulted me and encouraged me to – to learn a little bit more about um, a framework and a philosophy called Stoicism, which which you and I have spoken about before, um, and that that helped me a lot. And, and when you explain Stoicism, you yeah, can, yeah, because um, I really enjoyed what you were teaching me about it uh, the other day. But when you explain a bit more about the, that philosophy um, and 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 why that's become more prevalent, uh, more, I guess more uh, relevant. Uh, to, towards your way of thinking after experiencing a, a large piece of adversity. Yeah, look, Stoicism is it's it's a very ancient philosophy. It's been around since you know 400 BC. And look, the Stoics at the time didn't know that they were creating this framework. And and the three famous Stoics are Marcus Aurelius, who was an emperor, Seneca, who was a, 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 the equivalent of a politician. And Epictetus, who was it was a slave actually, so it was indiscriminate at what sort of um, um, you know positions they held. But basically, it's all about the reasoned choice. So what that means is that 
you have a reason to choose how you interpret certain events and how you interpret what people think and what people say about you. So in that situation that happened to me, I couldn't control what happened, right? But one thing I learned very quickly is I could control what it meant to me personally. I could control what I did about it and I could control how I interpreted it, right? But there are a lot of things that I just couldn't control. So so effectively the main framework of the philosophy is you can't control everything um, but you, you can certainly control a lot of things that do come out of that, that event or whether it's what someone said or what someone thinks, et cetera. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a framework where someone has to become robotic or clinical, but I've got to say that most of the modern techniques around psychotherapy, um, which, which the most modern um, form of, of psychotherapy that, that psychologists use is CBT, which is cognitive behavioural therapy. It, it, it is based on stoicism, to be honest with you. you know? um, and and even, even something as commercial as the secret that came out 10 years ago, which is, oh, if you put out to the universe that this is going to happen, then it will, you know. So that, that was a big buzz. What's that secret? It's, it, it, was uh, like, it was like, you know, I, I need be- believe, <laughs> believe, <laughs> conceive receive you know it was like it was it was was pretty commercial about 10 years ago where they were just like you know if you if you had positive thoughts you know then then good things are going to happen to you i mean look it's it's very cliche to say that um i don't believe in positive thinking what i do believe in is what's called useful beliefs because positive thinking just doesn't work right like you don't just think positively and good things happen but you can have what's called a useful belief which is a stoic way of thinking which is you know what that happened to me. I can't control it, but my useful belief is the reason it happened is so I can start my own coaching business. And now I look back twelve months later, and my coaching business is got less accountability, less stress. Um, I'm I'm doing what I love to do. I'm still listing and selling as well as an agent. I'm earning more money. Not the barometer of success is financial, but that's one benefit. Does right? <laughs> that's one benefit. Um, I got I got less compliance, less stress. Less, like like so, you, you know, you look back and you think, well, you know, it was it was it was it was almost like a serendipity where something good came out of something bad. You know, um, so I can control how I interpret that. I've, I've got full control how I can interpret well, that. I've always been a massive believer of that for every b- bad thing that happens, an equal good positive will come from that. I, I believe in in uh, like an even energy. Yeah. And when there's an up, there's a down. When there's a down, there's an up. Yeah. And there's there's a guy called um, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale who calls it the law of reciprocity. Yes, yeah, right? that. which is the like a lot the like the law of attraction which the secret was pushing on. So it's very similar all these all these frameworks are very very mm. similar. And I genuinely do believe that it does help when something bad happens to then and it does tie into the stoic thing. And what I like about the stoic thing you you mentioned is yes, okay, it's like admitting I can't control what happens but I can control how I perceive it and how I respond. Correct. And so it's almost like gaining control by understanding you don't have control over, you don't have control. Yes. And, and that ties into what I was saying in that it is, it's almost faith. It's kind of like religion and God where mm-hmm. you look up and, 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 you know, you have faith in that everything happens for a reason, you know, never question God, God has a plan. And what that teaches you or what, what the, what I believe humans got from that for so many for so, for so long mm. is that if there's a plan it means something good's, good's going to happen 
which is what I was saying. When there's a down, there's going to be an upcome from this. There's going to be a positive. And, and that's what religion provides. And Stoicism is kind of like a form of faith. Mm. It's, kind of like, it's, it's, it's maybe not the exact same as faith, but it's a form of it. It's a form of, okay, well, when something bad happens, this is how you can get control. This is how it works. Kind of mm. like with faith, when something bad happens, okay, something positive is going to happen. Mm. Stoicism is just more of an implementable way to kind of find the, yeah. find the positive. That's right. And it, it quite literally helps you find the positive. Yeah. Because I'm sure that uh, it must have felt like your life's work had been taken from you unjustly. 100%. 100%. That's what I interpreted at that time before I adopted a Stoic, you know, philosophy. It was absolutely, I was asking all myself all the wrong questions, saying all the wrong things. So why did this happen to me? What could I have done different? You know, and, and all of the above is irrelevant, you know, and the key... What you just mentioned, Dan, was when something bad's going to happen. That's the key to stoicism, which is actually budgeting for it, right? So knowing, knowing and accepting and budgeting that bad stuff's going to happen. So COVID is the perfect metaphor, the absolute perfect metaphor, because that globally is what I call a black swan event, right? And I've seen a few. I've seen 9-11, I've seen GFC, I've seen the early 90s recession. Black Friday. Yeah, yeah all, all these black swan events, right? Now... They're global uh, events that you have no control of and it's a metaphor because personally in our lives we have these black swan events that happen to us personally probably every three years, whether it's a relationship, whether it's health, whether it's financial, whether it's, you know, going through what I went through, change of industry, change of, you know, uh, of business, whatever it might be. These things do happen to us but the unfortunate thing is when they do happen to us, we act very surprised where we shouldn't because no one sat us down when we we're of speaking age and said, Dan, here's a manual to life. There's there's no mistakes in there. It's everything that every decision you make is going to work out 100%. Um, nothing bad's ever going to happen to you and it's all about unicorns and rainbows, right? No, no one ever said that to us. However, when these bad things do happen, so-called bad things, you know, these black swan events. Yeah, that's right, these so-called bad things. Yeah, yeah, like we freak out. We freak out where the Stoics budget for them, understand them. Some of them even went as far as preparing for them. So some Stoics, for example, used to eat baked beans just for two weeks so they knew what it felt like if they ever went broke, what it felt like to have no money or wore the same clothes for two weeks, for example. It's kind of like people should be told. And I I mean, Laura probably would agree with me. I say to the team all the time, bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Right? That, that's, that's just how life answer. works. If bad things didn't happen, it, first of all, it would be pretty fucking boring around here. But, yeah. but you wouldn't be stronger as a person. Bad things are what make you stronger. Like the same way COVID has made many businesses stronger for the future and business leaders and owners stronger for the future, mm. bad things exist to make people stronger. And we should almost be taught that uh, bad things happen and this is why. Mm. And that's why they happen. But it's normal. It's natural that bad things happen. And I did an exercise mm. at the end of last year. Let's start at the end of last year. And to review my decade, I listed 2010 to 2020. And I put next to each year what that year was. Like the thing I remembered from that year. Like, mm. you know, I, I kind of gave each year a title essentially. And like one year was, you know, Cub. That was the year Cub started. One mm. year was uh, – I don't know, different girlfriend or whatever the fuck it was. Mm. And 
And what I found was really cool. And I, I recommend everyone does this because I did that. And I found that the year after, so whenever I had a really, I had three difficult years in the tent, three like shitty hard years. Mm. And every year after that was the best year on my, on my, was one of the best three Mm. of the 10. And so it was, and that's almost what gave me a lot of the whole, okay, bad then equals good. Yeah. You know, and, and I would see it was a pattern for me Mm. after my shit year was a great year. And, 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 and that, that gave me comfort almost. It was kind of like, okay, well, I must be, why, do, why is that a pattern? That, that, that's there for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. It must be there because I got stronger in that year and I implemented these lessons I took and, lear- and learned from these bad years and put them into the next year. Mm. And therefore I was stronger. My next year I accomplished more. I felt better. I had a better aspect or view on life and I had a better re- sense of reality. Um, and that was a really cool exercise. And I guess that if if I – that is almost an awareness of stoicism. Mm, it's kind absolutely. of seeing it on paper. It's kind of like, okay, well, yeah, bad things happen and I need to I, – I was doing the right thing. I mm. did learn from bad things. I did find the positive. And look, the next year shows that I did that because mm. it was good. Mm. And and it's almost like a yeah visual aid for stoicism. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's the law of reciprocity. We're Basically, like about. Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Roman emperor, mate. There you go. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's it's the law of reciprocity, and they're all means to an end. Everything we do in life is a means to another end. The other thing which I did learn, which yeah, you know, is not necessarily part of stoicism, is that there are outcomes in life. Right. So what happened to me was an outcome, but what I did realize is. It's never a final outcome. It's just one outcome which leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another, you know. So it's, there's, there's, there's an old fable where – and it only take two seconds but it just gives you the idea which is, um, you know, a, a, a guy was had, um, had, had a horse on, on his farm and, and the horse bolted off and, and a friend said to him, oh, that's, that's really terrible, isn't it? And he said, oh, I'm not sure yet. Let's see what happens. And then the next day the horse came back but brought, brought four other horses with him and they're all working horses, so they started working the farm for him, all, all five of them. And the guy said, that's really good. You know, his mate, oh, well, let, not sure. Let's see what happens. Um, the son tried to break in one of the new horses um, and got bucked off and, and, and broke his leg. And his mate said to him, oh, that's really bad, isn't it? And the farmer said, oh, not sure. Let's see what happens. Then the, the, the conscription came for the war and his son couldn't go to war because he had a broken leg. And he's like, oh, that's really good, isn't it? You know, uh, and he's and the farmer said, I'm not sure. Let's see what happens. So it's just, and it can go on and on yeah. and on. That there's outcomes, but it's never a final outcome. It's just one outcome which leads to another, which leads to another. Well, so we can never jump to conclusion saying that what happened is terrible or what happened is great. It's know? true, and it also kind of confirms what I was saying. Every yeah. negative it has a positive. Then it has yeah. a negative. Then it has a positive. Yeah. It, it's it's that pattern, mm-hmm. and um, and one thing that I think. People just on this topic, well, since we're getting deep, yeah. one thing that I think people should remember too is that when you look back on your life, like think back five years ago to something you were upset about. Now, I'm sure there's major things that happen in people's lives that mm. I, and they never forget that they're always a big deal. But even those things are lessened over time. Mm. And when I was, for example, maybe 10 years ago, something horrific for me. Now I can look back at life and be like, that was, you know, that was, that wasn't horrific at all. I'm probably not even going to think, I, I probably haven't thought about it since then. Mm. And, and it's almost like life and time put things in reality. 
they, they put things into perspective. Sorry, not reality. Mm. They put things into perspective. And when you look back in your life, most of the things that you're upset about, you're not even going to know, rem- notice, remember, or even think about, you know, That's most right. of them. Yeah. And, and you ideally want to be able to say, well, the bad things that did happen to me, they did make me stronger and that is why who I am today and I'm passing these lessons down to my kids or to my, uh, in your case, to, to, to people I'm coaching yeah. uh, or whoever, people I interact with. Mm. And, and um, yeah, well, what you mentioned there is what they call pain by a thousand cuts. So you probably thought about it a thousand times and it was a thousand times painful where you could have just been painful once and you moved on from it. But you thought about a thousand times and it was like a thousand cuts, you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, it's that, that often we manufacture and manifest and marinate in our head things a lot worse than what they really are. Yeah, and, human and nature. Before we close from this topic, because I'm thoroughly enjoying this, you said one thing before that I wanted to bring up because it's something I was actually saying to someone the other day, which was you were telling yourself the wrong story yeah. after the McGrath situation. Yeah. You were, you were in your head, the story was a negative story. Yeah. And only when you discovered and implemented stoicism did you find the positive story. And when you found the positive story, you were able to feel good, move on, find the benefits and reap the rewards of the, the positive upswing of a negative down. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that concept of telling yourself the correct story mm. is an important one because – if something's making you feel bad or something negative happened, I mean, in this most simplest form, um, if if uh, something bad happens at Cub, right, maybe um, uh, Anthony might come up to me and say, shit, um, a member wants um, his uh, membership feedback. He, he joined uh, two weeks ago. He went to um, – uh, we did his induction and he didn't like it. He, he wants his membership feedback. And now I could sit there and be like, I'm making this up by the way, but I could sit there and be like, fuck, that sucks. That's so shit. Like well, we, we suck. We, you know, this member wants his money. I'm going to pay him his money back. I, mm. All the time we wasted signing him up mm. and the team, oh, we we're doing a horrible job. And, mm. and that could be a story I tell myself. Yes. Or, or I could say, okay, so let's figure out what he didn't like about it. Right. So this member might say, I didn't like A, B, and C. This is why I don't want to uh, – I want my money back. I want, I want to go. Mm. And we might say, okay, this is fantastic. Mm. These are three things of which we're not doing good enough. Yeah. We need to do them better. Obviously, most people are thinking that they're great because they're staying. Yeah. But this member didn't. And we're going to now, because of his negative energy, we're turning that into positive energy. We're going to improve these three things. Yeah. And, and we're going to make sure that this never happens again. Mm. And so the story – that story is, hey, this negative is a positive and we're stronger now because of it. Absolutely. Look, and- the story is, is, is everything. You know, like I, everyone I coach has a story. They say, I'm not a morning person. I'm not someone who can prospect for two hours a day. I'm not. So they're saying these things are like they're a self-fulfilling prophecy, but they're actually not true. They literally are fictitious. Um, Made up in your head. That's it. But, but what I've since found is there's actually a few reasons you're stuck in life. One, one of them is because of a story. Another one is the state that you're in. So it could be like your energy and that might have to do with physical or mental energy. It could be you've got to have a morning ritual, could be you've got to exercise, could be you've got to meditate. So it could be your state, story, 
um, or it could be skills, you know, like a lack of skill sets. Because some people are just literally stuck in life because they just don't know the skills, right? They're not trying to improve all the time. Yeah. You should always be trying to get better. Yeah. And really, I mean, I would, I, would, I would really argue that the story is at the essence of everything because totally. if you're telling yourself a good story like I'm going to be successful, I feel that that's what I want, I, you know, I, I can do this. I believe I can do what Adrian has accomplished or, or what um, um, Marcus Aurelius accomplished. You know, <laughs> I believe I can do this. That's a good story. Mm. That story is going to force you to gain more skills. Mm. You know, it's going to force you to have a, a better state and to wake up early and to go to the yeah. gym. And to, you know, it's, it's a story. And, and I really believe that, I mean, yes, people are born with different skills and, and genetics and, and some people are social and popular and other people are nerdy and sit in the corner. And, and, but, but there's no difference in um, ability to succeed. Mm. Hey, Mark Zuckerberg doing all right for himself and yeah. the, oh, the guy sounds like the worst dude to ever speak to. Mm. Mm. You know? And uh, Richard Branson, who's on the other side, well, you'd, you'd think he looks that way anyway. Mm. I've never met him. Although we did host a cub event on his island, but that's another story. Um, well, he was dyslexic growing up. Yeah, yeah, he, he yeah he was, and um, and but he's quite the you know he 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 loves doing the show, yeah. The, yeah, that type of thing, and and they're both they're both super successful. Maybe not equally successful, but they're both super successful. Mm. And so there's no one way to success. Everyone can have a path. It's just about your your individual story. Yeah, if you're telling yourself the wrong story, and and I think that I mean when I have kids, the priority is going to be to make sure that they're looking at perceiving the world mm. in the right way. And, and I think that's something that as a leader mm. you need to be, it's not just your kids, it's almost like as a leader you should be doing this with your team mm. and, 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 and talking to the team about viewing the world in the correct way. That's not a negative really. That's actually a positive and this is why. Mm. This is why negatives happen because they make us stronger. COVID is not a negative, it's a positive because of this. Mm. You know, and, and that's almost your job as a leader to understand that the world can be unfair and the world is difficult. And it will happen again and again exactly. and again. And, again. and to perceive it in the right way, mm. perceive the negatives as the positives and then to spread that stoicism and to spread that positivity to your team, to your family, to your friends, yeah. to your clients. And, and really the world gets stronger and stronger the more you do. I'm going to start a stoicism company. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically you just convert positive thinking into useful belief. You just adopt a useful belief around every negative and positive thing that happens to you. And if you do that, then the positive thinking can, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, mm. like it's because that, that's, it's, that's, that comes off the tongue too easy and it's a bit cliche, you know. So, yeah, uh, I think something more constructive needs to, needs to come into place. I did, I did, um, I, I was in the car driving back from the farm with my nana and who's from Mexico and is super Catholic. Mm. And, and so I was just talking to her about her life and, I was thinking about some th- sad things that have happened in my life, so-called seem sad things, mm-hmm. and uh, my uncle who was asleep in the car's life, so-called. And then I'm talking to my nana, who's really a happy lady, happy Mexican lady, um, uh, loves God, loves family. And I'm asking her about her life. And she was one of 11. Her mum died in the last child, uh, giving birth to the final child. She was given to... Uh, her she was given to some relatives to raise then the relatives gave her back because they were the godmother of one of her other sisters who they had you know in mexico you have you have to look after that one so they gave her back and she had an evil stepmother and then her you know her family four of her 
siblings died, one of them named Daniel like me. Wow. Also, whatever, there was a bunch of shit that was going on. And, and uh, she, you know, she met her husband, uh, my grandfather, sorry, and they got married, they had a business, they lost the business, they moved to Australia, they don't speak English, they <laughs> live in Marylands, they build a new life. They And I'm talking to her and you're just thinking like, shit, none of this shit ever happened to me. Mm. Like, the, the, I'm the, why to think anything bad? Like the, mm. this lady's the happiest lady I know, and, and she's and she's. I think I was talking to my my um, brother-in-law's grandmother. It was a Lebanese lady. Her husband and her son died in I think it was the same year, mm. and she's still every time you see her, God bless you. Like she's mm. happy, mm. she's grateful, mm. and she's thinking these people have experienced horrible things, mm. and who am I to be sad? Mm. And anyway, to get to the point, I asked Nana. I was like. Like, Nana, why do you pray? What, what does religion give you? And she said, it makes me feel good. It makes me grateful because I find myself every day saying thank you to God for what I do have, not what I don't. And I started praying because of that, not because I'm particularly religious, although I do love the faith aspect of believing everything happens for a reason and, and you know, I have to find the reason because it challenges you to find that reason. Mm. But it's nice to say thank you on a daily basis about the good things because it forces you to find them. And when you force yourself or you have the habit, like you're saying, to find the good things, Mm. you then get in the habit to always see the good things. Mm. And when you're seeing the good and not the bad, you're going to be a happier person. You're going to have a better story playing in your head and therefore you're going to live a more fulfilled life. And Mm. and talking to just fucking the nanas in my world, Mm. Mm. that that actually gave me that. And I would encourage people to speak to their grandparents because those people (laughs) – those totally. people, yeah, they had they, back in the day. You had more difficult life than we do oh, now. There's no doubt, especially the the immigrants. Yeah, you know, we both come from from family of immigrants. They came here, and they like to tell you the story uh, ad nauseum. You know, or <laughs> came here with nothing, suitcase, whatever, and you know, couldn't speak the language, yeah, worked they, in a factory, all that sort of stuff. You know, but but look, even if you're religiously agnostic and don't believe in religion. What you've just described from your grandmother is really just having an attitude of gratitude. And just faith focusing, in focusing life. On, on what she's grateful for rather than, you know, and the modern cliche is the glass half empty or half full. But, you know, if you've got two things which are going well in your life and you've got eight things which are not, well, focus on the two and organically they're just, they're just going to manifest. You yeah, know? The two will get together, have a baby yeah. or have a third and then yeah. it will just keep repeating. Yeah. And um, just to move on from... from uh, from this part of the podcast, which I really thoroughly enjoyed, by the way, that's that's one of my yeah, favorite conversations I've had on cool. on the show. But um, I, I do want to finish with some of your thoughts around uh, growth. Mm. And I mean, obviously, you experienced from going six people with McGrath to it was two thousand or whatever, two and a half thousand, two and a half thousand, and you've learned some key, I guess, lessons in growth in that time. What would you say your top uh, one or two? lessons uh, in order to grow successfully are? Firstly, uh, growth and profit um, aren't mutually exclusive. So what I mean by that is you don't necessarily need to have massive growth to be profitable. In fact, a lot of businesses who have gone on a massive growth trajectory usually have the equal amount of expenses, if not more, um, and that's how you find businesses that, that are not profitable. Um, even if you just look at the average young person these days, right, they're, they're like a walking profit and, and loss, you know, um, um, uh, sort of P&L if you like. Like 
I'm amazed how few young people have zero assets but they've actually got debt, you know. So a lot of businesses are like that. They just and, – and they, basically because they're just spending more than they earn, right? So it, it that might seem so rudimentary and so basic but a lot of businesses do lose sight of it. I'm amazed how many business owners I sit down in front of who want some business advisory and I ask them to rattle off their numbers, you know, what's, what's your P&L, how much, you know – uh, how much you bring in per month? How much are you spending per month? What have you budgeted for marketing? What have you budgeted for labour? What have you budgeted for for rent or whatever it might be? And they just don't know the numbers. So well, I can relate to that. And I'm a, obviously I'm a huge. Uh, in fact, I've spoken about this topic many times: profit versus growth, or even profit versus revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, what's the point in making a hundred million dollars in revenue if you're not making any profit? Mm. Uh, and obviously you'll get the tricky people like, oh, yeah, but cash flow and yeah, but uh, we need profit. Mm. Um, um, anyway, it, it would be like a cup. Many people say, hey, we should offer the members more uh, more services or a different product and, and charge them for that and make more money. But if I were to do that, so I've got a choice. Can I Do I offer them a new service of which has a cost now because you've got to figure out how to deliver that service and, and then deliver it, which which involves a cost? Or do I just get more members to join on what we currently do, which is a fixed cost service? Mm-hmm. Our, our costs as a company are fixed, mm. and it, it, that means that that member is one hundred percent profit. Yeah, you know, it's, based on existing resources. Based on existing, existing resources, resources. Yeah. and yeah. it's not to say that eventually you don't want to offer new services mm. because you do. When you max out your current and you're, you're big enough, you've maxed mm. out your profit. And even if we filled the club, mm. we could still turn up the price. Mm. We'd put the price up. Mm. And we make even more profit with absolutely no additional cost. Yeah. Only when we have maxed it, we are full. The whole motherfucking country's full, mm. and mm. everyone's paying the most money possible. Mm. Should I add on a new service? Mm. And a new, because a new service is a new cost, mm. and a new cost is less profit. And yeah. and really, you should be thinking about your business like that. Is it cheaper for? Is it better for me? Have I maxed out my existing thing? Yeah. And then obviously, people need to look at. Is my business profitable in the first place? <laughs> well, yeah. you're saying, are we actually making money on this service? And if not, yeah. how, what do we change in our model in order to make it profitable? Yeah, and and every year or every quarter might look a little bit different. So if you're if you're at the business infancy stage, then maybe growth is your mandate. Maybe profit is less important, right? I agree. But once once you hit um, critical mass, whether it's, you know, maximum members, maximum resource, and then you've got to put on more labour or have more premises or whatever, then you've got to rethink the whole model. Then you've got to look at profit. You know, so, you know, every chapter in every person's life or business will be different than it was last quarter or last year, you know. So, okay, so growth versus profit, that's that's the first thing people should – or that's something important everyone should should think about. Totally, uh, and, yeah. and is growing without profit – is that your goal at the time? Because it may be your goal at the start, like you're saying. Correct. Because uh, you just want clients. Yes. And you want to get the wheels moving. You need the cash flow. It's like oxygen. It's like blood. It keeps the body moving. Yeah. Yeah. But but eventually you need to focus on, okay, well, we need to profit more mm. now. Well, it's part of CapEx or capital expenditure. Any business has to, has to make an investment in capital expenditure. And then you've got OPEX, which is your operating expenditure, which – once the business is established, that's where you need to keep it lean. Your OPEX needs to be a lot leaner than your CAPEX, you know. So um, it's – The running cost. In other words, the running cost needs to – you need to keep your your fixed costs as low as humanly possible. 
without without interfering with the customer experience. Service. Yeah, yeah, absolutely amazing. And yeah. uh, what's another tip you got? Another one would be culture, um, and I know you're big on this. Um, in in within your team, you've got a pretty tight team, and culture is important. But I've literally seen culture decimate businesses, and I've seen culture accelerate businesses. Um, and culture, it's something tangible, but it's also something that's not tangible. You know, so what I mean by that is culture's got two verticals. One of them is is based around process. So it might be as rudimentary as just having a one-on-one with each of your team members every week or month. And it might be having a daily um, whip meeting or a daily or a weekly meeting with your team member and literally asking basic questions like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Where's your career at at the moment? Where do you see yourself in five years? Is there anything I can do as a business owner to help you achieve your financial dreams? You know, so so that that's just a process that that if you implemented tomorrow and you had you did nothing else and you had no other cultural strategy but to sit down and work on your business rather than in your business and just ask your every team member how they're feeling, how they're going, what else you can do for them. Let me tell you, that, that, that that's a massive shift in culture just there. Yeah, and, and what you're saying as well is, is similar to what you said before with personal good habits. Mm. In, to create a culture, your business needs positive habits, mm. good habits that may be your daily morning meeting. It may be like a cup we have the culture meeting every Thursday. Mm. But any business can create its own little habits of which – uphold and enforce uh you know a positive culture and and i mean um having things like aligning like what you said aligning the business goals with the individual personal goals of mm. the team yeah i mean that's incredibly powerful and that's of uh, we do that at cabin that's something that that i believe all or not maybe not all businesses should do but particularly businesses at the level and scale of of of, of cub um um, because it allows the success of the company to it allows the team member to to visualize how the success of the company is going to benefit them personally, mm. and because at the end of the day, humans are evolved to care about themselves and their own survival. Mm. There's nothing more motivating to someone than understanding how they're going to benefit from from accomplishing something, mm. and that should be tied into to, into the culture. Absolutely. It should be a culture of success for everyone. Absolutely. And it doesn't actually matter how big or small the company is because if it's a smaller company, you've got the luxury of intimacy where, you know, where the leader could 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 actually ask every team member every week or every month, how are you doing, how are you feeling? But if it's a bigger company, well, you've got reporting lines that can do that, you know. Um, the other part of culture is just an energy thing, right? So if if the leader of the business or um, if influencers of the business are walking in with very low energy, um, you know, and they're not they're, they're not engaged with their staff, they're not engaged with clients, like that's contagious. It's contagious in a good way and contagious in a bad way. So culture, as, as I said, I've literally seen it decimate or accelerate businesses and I can't tell you how important it is. And what you just told me that you have your – Thursday culture meetings and you have one-on-ones, you, you'd be in the minority, Dan. I'm telling you now, for, for business owners, you, you would be in the minority of people that, that, that have these conversations, you know, because what, what we've got, what all we're actually doing is indulging a human need. So 
one of the human needs, apart from food, water, shelter, like they're obvious tangible ones, right? But but the true human needs are uh, certainty, um, variety, and purpose. Purpose is a big one. Contribution, growth, and love—they're the others. One other ones, right? But purpose and connection and being feeling like you're part of something that's bigger than you. This is an actual human need that no matter what you do or say and try and wrestle with it, it's not going away. Everyone wants to feel part of something, whether that's through religion like you talked about, whether it's through being a member of CUB, whether it's being a team member of uh, a workplace, whether it's a family, whether it's a relationship, whether it's friendship, whether it's a netball team, doesn't matter. They're, they're, everyone has to have some feeling of purpose in something bigger than them. Mm, I couldn't agree more. Um, awesome, Bowie. Why don't we wrap up with maybe your favourite quote? Look, Wayne Gretzky says you miss 100% of the shots you don't take and he was he was like probably the most world-famous uh, ice hockey player in, in, in the States. Um, I, I like that because, you know what, you got nothing to lose. You know, I was at a coaching session this morning and I was talking through some dialogue, you know, what you would say to a buyer at an auction, for example. And I was saying, well, if you don't say that, you know, there's you actually have zero to lose. But the upside is that you could actually extract a higher offer from that person. But you've got no so that's just one of many examples. So it's the same as if when you started Cub, you know, it could have been very easy for your story to say, well, you know, but that could be unsuccessful. People won't like it. Everyone's telling Whereas me it's not going to work. work. Members' the, clubs don't work. That's it. What, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? You've already had a failed business. You told me before you entered into My a restaurant. restaurant. Yeah. So did, did you survive it? Yeah, yeah. In yeah. fact, you've survived 100% of your failures in life. You've survived. You're still alive, right? Because mm. the and that was just an outcome. The only final outcome is death, really, when you think about it, right? So you've actually survived a hundred percent of your successes and failures. So you've already stoicized yourself and exposed yourself, and that's that could be what's called exposure therapy. Like when I talked about, you know, just classic stoic would sort of eat baked beans for two weeks to feel like would it be like to be broke. You know what I mean? So you 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 already know what it felt like. So for you. What's the worst case thing can happen? Well, when the when when the restaurant didn't go that well, well, you know what? I brushed myself off and I tried something else. And if it wasn't cub, well, then it might be something. So, yeah, I think I think unless you try, the pain of of not trying is higher than the pain of trying and failing. Yeah, I could tell you now, I am far more fearful of what I would, how I would feel about myself for not trying mm. than I am of failing. Mm. I will always try. To everything. I will try because I know that if I don't, I will hate myself for it. I'll mm. picture myself differently. And and I think that's what that's what separates most people mm. uh, from uh, the minor, the time, the 1% from the rest is that they actually gave it a shot. Mm. Awesome. Let's leave it there. If anyone wants to um, reach out to Adrian, head to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find all his contact details, coaching businesses, LinkedIn profiles, favorite quote, books, whatever we've got on there. There's a whole bunch of awesome things. Um, So go check it out. Adrian, thank you so much. That was a brilliant conversation. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, me too, man. I really appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Awesome. Hope you enjoy the show.